This podcast is brought to you by the College of Nursing at Brigham Young University. For more information about its programs, faculty, students, or alumni events, please visit nursing.byu.edu. One subcategory of depression involves new moms. What causes postpartum depression? And why do new mothers become sad, especially after giving birth to their child? We have answers coming up. Hey everyone, I'm Eliza Joy. And I'm Ryan Larson. Together we will explore nursing careers and professional insights. With exclusive interviews for nurses working jobs that you want to know about. Transferring info from one nurse to another. This is The College Handoff. Welcome back to the College Handoff. Postpartum depression is often referred to as the baby blues, but its casual name doesn't do justice for what it really feels like. Today's show focuses on postpartum depression and features Elizabeth Oborn, a labor and delivery nurse who is passionate about women's health and is a fierce advocate for pregnant moms to have the birthing experience they want. We also hear from Whitney Bassett. She shares her personal story with depression and her suicide attempt. She also provides ways nurses can help those with mental health concerns. Let's get started. So we're here today with Elizabeth Oborn. Welcome to our show. Thank you. Your career focuses on labor and delivery, postpartum, and childbirth education. What influenced your decision to become a nurse? Well, when I was growing up, I was able to spend a lot of time with my grandma, Ruth, and she was actually a nurse. Um, She spent a lot of years in the maternity department. Now things have changed a lot since then, but I still remember getting out her old old stethoscope and seeing her photos in her white, you know, starched nursing uniform and hearing her stories. And I think that kind of lit the fire that this is something maybe I should look into. And I kind of haven't looked back since then. So I understand you're a fierce advocate for moms everywhere to have the birth and postpartum experience that they want to have. How do you do that? So I feel like that all starts with education and helping people to understand really what is going on in the labor and delivery process, because so many people don't know what what are their options and do I have choices and and if someone says I need to do this, is there any other, you know, are there any other paths that I can take? And so I just really want to give moms all of the knowledge and information that they need to be able to feel empowered to make the decisions that they feel comfortable with. And whatever that decision might be, I just want them to feel heard and respected and know that they have choices. So um, I think a huge part of nursing is teaching, right? Whether we're bedside nurses, we still teach a lot, or whether we're nurse educators, of course, we teach there too. But I just want people to understand what's going on so that they can make the right decision for their own body and their own family. You've been teaching these classes for six years now. Is there something that surprises you with those that attend your class? Like, are they prepared to be parents? (laughs) You know what? Most often, no. Patients are are not prepared. They're not really understanding what's going on. I kind of think of it as when I walk into 
um, a mechanic shop, like a car mechanic shop, and I'm bringing my car in for some issue or another, I have no idea what is going on with my car. I don't know cars at all. I don't even care to know cars. I just don't understand it. And so I don't even know what questions to ask. So I kind of see a similar thing with patients coming in to deliver when they don't have the knowledge and the education beforehand. They don't know what questions to ask and they don't know what to expect and what's normal and what's not normal. So I feel like that is a huge privilege of mine as an educator that I get to teach them and help them understand beforehand and answer all of their questions. I also want to give them the nurse perspective and the patient perspective. I've had four kids of my own and I just want to help them feel comfortable and excited. So many new moms or soon to be moms are very, very anxious. I've even had women just start crying in my childbirth classes, not because anything was particularly wrong or they were not in pain or anything, but they were just very, very anxious and nervous about the whole process. So I just want to hold their hand and help them know that they can do this and this isn't an impossible task. UIU students get to complete a labor and delivery clinical rotation during their junior year. If someone was really interested in labor and delivery, what can they do to learn more about it outside of the clinical rotations? Yeah, so I think there is so much importance on the capstone semester um, all of clinicals is important, and we want we want the nursing students to be, you know, proactive and say, "Oh, hey, can I watch this procedure? Or can I try this? Can I do this the, for the first time? Can you help me?" So, the more the nursing students are asking their nurse for experiences, I think the more they will get, and the better that whole semester will be. Um, especially with capstone, that was huge for me. I was able to do my capstone in labor and delivery at Utah Valley, and that was absolutely crucial. That helped me get my foot in the door. That helped me get to know the managers, the nurses, all the charge nurses. And they were able to say after those four months of me doing my capstone there, hey, we have a position open and we want to hire you. Do you want to stay on? And I said, yes, absolutely. So. I don't know if I would have been able to get a labor and delivery job right out of nursing school had I not done that as my capstone. So just be proactive and be excited about it. Be willing to do the work that maybe others don't want to do, even if it's something kind of mundane like a bed bath or you know something that is not that exciting. If you offer to put in the time for those type of things, a nurse is going to come and find you when there's other exciting things or, or really good learning experiences. They're going to say, hey, why don't you come in here? The patient said it was okay and come watch this. So whatever your interest is in, whether that's OR nursing or ER nursing or med surge or labor and delivery, it doesn't matter. But if you know you might be interested in that, jump into it full force in your capstone so that you can see for four months do I really like this? And do I want to go into this, you know, full time when I'm a paid employee? And if not, that's okay, because it's just four months. And you can say, actually, I don't really love this. And that's okay. Give yourself permission to change your mind. But if it is something that you really connect with, then that's what an awesome opportunity to just go into that full time. I think that's great advice. What do you think nurses can do to really take their patient care to the next level? So I really encourage nurses to 
really listen to their patients. Now, I know we've been talking about educating our patients, and that is wonderful and super important, but also we need to listen to our patients. And one of my most favorite parts about being a nurse is seeing how they often know their bodies better than we do, better than our monitors and our machines. If, if we listen to them, sometimes they really can clue us into what's going on. So I had a patient come into labor and delivery triage once, and she was just 29 weeks along. Um, she just felt something was not right, and she couldn't put her finger on it. She didn't have any terrible issues going on. She wasn't in pain. She wasn't bleeding, but she just felt in her heart that something was not right, and she needed to speak out about that. And so, you know, we ask her a bunch of questions and get the monitoring going and see what's really happening. And we realized that her baby was having really non-reassuring fetal heart tones, which means that the baby is not doing well. He or she is stressed out for some reason, maybe an issue with the placenta or the cord or something of that nature. And um, her OB came in and reviewed everything with her and talked to her, of course. But it was at that moment that they said, hey, we need to do an emergency C-section and get this baby out at 29 weeks along. And that was just shocking to me. If she had not listened to her, you know, personal revelation or her gut or her feeling inside of her heart, she might not have come in. And if we hadn't have taken her seriously, something much worse could have happened. So the baby was born at 29 weeks. The baby was okay. And everything, you know, needed some help in the NICU, but was fine eventually and was discharged home with her. So I just want nurses to listen to their patients and give them the time of day and just really hear them out because they do know their bodies so well. Well, let's back up for just a moment. What exactly is postpartum and when does it become a concern in childbirth? Okay, so 80% of moms, new moms, are going to experience what we call the baby blues, right? People have probably heard of this. It's a feeling of sadness, um, anxiety, overwhelm, nervousness, fatigue, all of those new emotions that come with having a baby. The good news is that for most of us, it only lasts two to three weeks from delivery, and then it goes away, and then we start to feel better, the hormones start to regulate, and we kind of get into a groove with our baby, and we start to feel more normal, but for many well, maybe for 15% of women, that feeling lingers past the three-week mark. And at that point, we, we do call it postpartum depression. So we don't even bring up the term postpartum depression in the first three weeks. So postpartum depression can be very severe. Um, it can cause hallucinations and and obviously nervous feelings and down and crying for no reason and different things like that. But we want these mamas to know there's help out there. And often the sooner you reach out for help, the quicker you will feel better and the better your outcome will be. So I don't want these mamas to ever feel alone or nervous or thinking, what did I do? I must have messed something up or I didn't eat the right foods or I didn't take the right supplements, but that's not what's going on. So we want to help those women. We just need them to be strong enough to reach out for help. And that might mean a support group that meets virtually or possibly in person, or that might mean reaching out to their OBGYN and discussing medication options. Um, there are different herbs and supplements that a lot of women have seen results with as well. 
Um, of course, there's therapy, right? And so there's just so many options that we want women to know those are available to them and they shouldn't have to suffer through this new baby period alone and feeling scared and frightened. I'm sure being a part of all these births is a very exciting part of your job, but what's your favorite part of your job? You know what? I wish that I had recorded from my very first, you know, working in labor and delivery starting in 2008. I wish I have recorded the number of births that I have been in. And I wish I had that number, but no matter what, I get goosebumps every single time a birth happens, no matter how many times I've seen it before. It's just that moment of relief that I see in the parents' faces when this baby comes out and they start crying and they start breathing. And it's just so exciting. And they put that baby up on mom's chest and it's just like nothing matters anymore at that moment. It's that's probably my favorite part is just seeing that first connection and that first bond between these moms and dads and this new baby. So I love it. I get goosebumps every time and I don't think I'm ever going to get sick of it. <laughs> kind of along those same lines, what's one of the most impactful experiences you've had while working in labor and delivery? Yeah, so not all of labor and delivery is you know, rainbows and butterflies and happiness, right? Now, most of it is. And that's one thing I love about labor and delivery is that probably 97% of it is wonderful and joyous. But then you get that 3% of the time where it is just really hard and really sad. And I once had a patient come in. She was just 32 weeks along. She came in for decreased fetal movement. So she hadn't felt the baby move in a, in a little while, and she was concerned enough to come in and get checked out. Now, patients come in for decreased fetal movement all the time, so that is not abnormal. So um, I go into her room, and I introduce myself, and we start asking a bunch of questions and, of course, putting the monitors on her tummy to see what's going on. And I happen to be 32 weeks along with my first child as well. So we kind of had that bond right away. And I said, oh, my due date is just a few days off from yours. And that was exciting. And then I started to move the monitor around on her belly. And I kept moving it and moving it different areas. And I could not find a heartbeat on that baby. And I'm starting to get nervous and I'm just keep trying different spots and have her move and have her tilt and have her drink ice water and different things. And we just couldn't find it. So I said, let me step out for a minute. I'm going to bring the ultrasound machine in and, you know, we'll see what's going on. So I stepped out and I talked to my charge nurse and I explained everything that was going on. And she's like, Elizabeth, you can't go back in there. You are 32 weeks along. She is 32 weeks along. You can't go back in there because if this doesn't end well, she's not going to be able to handle that and seeing you and seeing your pregnant belly. So I didn't go back in and the charge nurse went in with another nurse and she brought in the ultrasound machine and she couldn't find any cardiac activity. So the baby had passed away and I just heard that woman from, you know, down the hall. I wasn't in the room, but I just heard her just wailing and just sobbing in sadness that she had lost this baby. And that is honestly a moment I will never forget. And it just makes me so grateful for all the times when labor and delivery does go right and it everything is good and the baby is healthy and breathing. And of course, for my own kids, but that is just a moment I will never forget. I feel like I can still hear 
her cry in my mind because it was just so significant to me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. Nursing definitely has those ups and downs because I think that nurses are there for the very intimate moments in people's lives and um, they can't always know how those are going to go. Yes, that is true. People are just so vulnerable when they're in a hospital, whether it's labor and delivery or any other area of the hospital. People are nervous. They may have never even been in a hospital before. They may be experiencing something for the very first time or something super scary. And just that we as nurses get to be a part of that and get to help them kind of, you know, go into new territory and help them do it with success and with knowledge and empower them. That is probably my favorite part about being a nurse. Well, Elizabeth, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing those impactful stories along with your amazing insight. It's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thanks so much. We realize that today's topics are a serious conversation. If you're thinking about suicide, are worried about a friend or loved one, or would like emotional support, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 across the United States. This service is offered to anyone and is free and confidential. If interested, please call 1-800-273-8255. Our next guest today is Whitney Bassett. She's a nursing professional and a BYU nursing alumni. She has an amazing personal story about her experience with postpartum depression. Well, Whitney, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast here today. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Sweet. Well, Whitney, um, we want to just kind of hear your story about what it was like. Um, as my understanding is, you experienced postpartum depression. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? So right after graduation, I started my first job at Primary Children's um, Hospital, and I worked in the infant medical surgical unit, and I loved it. I worked there for a couple of years, and then I had my first baby boy, Liam. Um, he's almost three now. Um, after I had him, I, I was good. I was happy. I was like, oh, let's have 100 more babies. He's so cute. This is so fun. It was like playing house. And um, when he was eight months old, I got pregnant with my second. And shortly after I got pregnant, we found out that I had complete placenta previa, um, which is where your placenta covers your cervix. And it can be deadly to the mother and the baby. Um, I also had pica, which is when you crave non-food substances. So I craved dirt. and. Overall, my second pregnancy was just really stressful. It was hard. I didn't feel well, and I was just exhausted. So by the time I had Becca, my second, I was, I was tired. And the labor and delivery actually went really well. And I remember I was sitting in the hospital holding him the day we were going to be discharged. And I looked at my husband, Taylor, and I said, I, I haven't even cried yet. Like, this is great. I feel so happy. I feel energized. I feel better than I have in a long time. And then Christmas came around and I remember waking up Christmas morning and I felt like the color black. I just felt horrible. Um, I didn't care to even watch my little boy open his presents. I 
I didn't want to hold my brand new baby. I didn't even want to look at him. And I'm thinking, oh, what is wrong with me? This must be the baby blues. I mean, I'm a nurse. I learned about this in school. This will go away in a couple of weeks and I'll be fine. But it kept getting worse. It got to the point where I couldn't eat. I didn't have an appetite. I didn't want to hold my baby. I felt like I wasn't connecting with him. And when I looked at him, it was like he wasn't even mine. I felt like it was some other baby, a random baby I picked up off the street. I remember the first time I brought him to church, I had this crazy thought where I hurt him at church sitting there in sacrament meeting. And it was this really scary visual thought and I was terrified. And I'm sitting there thinking, what kind of mom has these thoughts about her child? And it was starting to scare me. I started to feel a lot of shame. I had never had anything like this happen. I never really had a history of um, depression, anxiety, mental health issues. Um, so I was kind of in denial. I, I didn't want to tell anyone. I was afraid that people would think I was crazy. Um, but my husband could tell. He could tell I was struggling. And mid-January, he, he took me to the doctor. And he said, we are taking you in. We are telling him what's going on. And we're going to get you help. So we went into my OBGYN. And I kind of told him a little bit how I was feeling. I just told him, I don't, I don't feel like myself. I don't find pleasure in the things that I used to. And he said, Whitney, you have postpartum depression. So you are going to have to take medication to survive. I never thought in a million years that I would have to take medication for mental health. But he put me on a medication. I started it. Things continued to get worse. By mid-February, I was hitting rock bottom. I didn't want to be alive. I didn't want to open my eyes. I kept wishing that I could just be put in a coma. And I remember sitting in my living room. My husband was at work. My babies were both asleep and I came up with a plan and I was going to kill myself. I truly thought that my family would be better off without me, that my babies would be better off with a different mother, that my husband would be better off with a different wife. And so I attempted to take my life and my husband came and he found me. And that night they uh, checked me into Salt Lake Behavioral Health. Um, it's a psych ward up in Salt Lake. And I always tell my therapist that the three days I spent at that hospital, I mean, I'll need therapy for the rest of my life just for what I went through there. So at the end of the day, um, I left and we took it into our own hands. So my family took care of me. My parents took my boys for three months and I lived with my in-laws and they were my literal bodyguards and my husband, went back and forth in between the kids and me. And um, I was, I mean, at rock bottom. I completely lost my ability to feel the spirit, which was really hard for me because I started to feel like God had abandoned me and like he wasn't there. And I started questioning um, everything. And I never questioned before. I mean, I've always had a lot of faith, but with depression, I mean, you lose your ability to 
feel anything. And so that was hard. I'm like, you take away that one thing that helps me. And so I had to learn to see God's hand in other ways. And it was usually through other people reaching out. It's, it's funny because, I mean, when I felt the absolute worst and when I didn't want to be alive anymore, it was a nurse who sat down with me and held my hand and said, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. You have to keep fighting. You have to keep fighting for your kids, for your boys. Um, laughed with me, she cried with me, um, and she spoke from the heart. I didn't feel like it was rehearsed. Um, she was just herself, but she was kind. And uh, I just think nurses are angels. I remember going home in May, and that was when I had my kids with me, and I was trying to get into the swing of things, but I was still in an intensive outpatient therapy program. So I was going to therapy like 12 hours a week. And I started to feel okay, but it took some time for um, family members to let me take that next step. Um, and even still, I mean, I mean, not today, but in the last year, there have been moments where I'm like, okay, <laughs> I need, I need to take a break. I need someone to take the boys and I need, I need someone to be with me. I don't feel safe right now. So yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard. But I feel like I'm healing and I feel like I'm Whitney again. So because you were a nurse, do you think that made it harder or maybe easier to reach out and get help as soon as you felt like maybe things weren't quite right? Yeah, I think I knew, I mean, I had learned about this in school. I had learned the signs and symptoms. Um, I knew that I probably needed to go see a doctor, but as we know, a lot of medical professionals aren't the best patients, and I was nervous to go in. Uh, I mean, I had my own, I guess, stigmas against mental health, and I didn't want to be placed in that category, which now looking back, I'm kind of laughing at because that's completely ridiculous. I mean, it took time for me to be able to say, okay, I need help, I need medication, and that's okay. Um, just because I'm struggling with mental health doesn't make me a weak person, a bad person. Um, it's a medical condition that I have and I need help. But after getting into it, um, and kind of losing my pride, it was helpful to be a nurse and have that knowledge and kind of advocate for myself. And Whitney, I imagine you're not the first nurse that's experienced postpartum depression. I'm certain that you won't be the last one either. Right. So like, what recommendations would you give to our students that are graduating now who are hoping to do what you do, start families in the future, yeah. and, might, and might go through some of this, the same things that you went through? Yeah, I mean, in Utah, Right now, one in four women is, suffer with postpartum depression. Wow. One in four. And so, I mean, in a class of 60, <laughs> that's a good majority of the, of the people um, in the class that will either have a sister or a friend or you, 
everyone will know someone who suffers with um, this, this disease, with postpartum depression. And so it's important that we educate ourselves. Yeah. Do you think there's something in particular you might tell maybe a young nursing student who's starting a family and experiencing the same things that you experienced? What advice would you give them? Oh, advice. I mean, first off, I would just say, be kind to yourself. Um, I think as nursing students in general, I mean, I remember in my class, at least, we all wanted straight A's. We all wanted to have the highest score on the test. We all wanted to be perfect. And that's just not, not possible. And um, the older I've gotten, the more I've realized that, I mean, I'm not going to attain perfection. And so when we do struggle, um, that's okay. And it actually allows us to connect more with other people um, because everyone struggles. And, and I would also say, don't put your dreams on hold. I don't think that you have to be the sacrificial lamb for your family as a mother. I think, um, sorry, I'm going on, on a little tangent here, oh, but that's great. When I hear someone say, oh, my mom is so selfless or um, anything like that, I kind of get like, oh, I don't like that word selfless because what does that mean? Like selfless, you don't have a self. I think it's important as mothers, as nurses, that we still um, fight for what we want to do. You can still be a mom. You can still work. You can still do everything that you want to do. And if anything, it teaches your children to go for it. Um, so I would say, keep yourself a priority. Don't, don't become the sacrificial lamb for your family. Wow. I think that's really cool, especially with how demanding I'm sure motherhood can be. Yes. And with nursing, you know, if you're not 100% there yourself, you really can't turn around and help others. You can't help patients. You can't help your own children. Mm -hmm. so I think that's really good advice. And you, you, talk, you mentioned something that's kind of interesting to me. So you talked about being selfless. I think one of the, um, one of the blessings and maybe curses that church culture in Utah has is that we demand selflessness out of everyone, especially mothers. What do you think, that, what do you think students or nursing students can do to, to balance this need to be a selfless caregiver, right. but also take care of their own mental and physical well-being. Yes, that is so important. Um, there's this quote that says, it's not me first, it's me too. And I think that's important. We don't have to just, I mean, drop everyone else and not care about what they need. And I mean, I am a mother. I still have to take care of my children. I still have to make plenty of sacrifices, but that doesn't mean that I can't take care of myself too. And I think especially as a nurse, uh, I mean, the nursing field is hard. It's hard on you mentally. It's hard on you physically. Um, you need to know yourself enough. You need to be able to set boundaries and say, okay, this is too much for me. This is okay. You need to be able to say, you know, I can work this amount of time and still be happy and functioning. Um, I think there are a lot of nurses who just kind of completely overwork themselves and are so selfless that they start to lose their themselves. They don't even know who they are anymore. And I think that happens as mothers too, that we just give everything to our children. And then we're sitting there like, who am I? What do I even like to do? Like, 
what happened to me? But it's a hard thing to learn. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure there's lots of people that are. Um, so this might be too personal, but do you think you ever lost yourself throughout your experiences as a nurse, as a mother? Oh, yeah, 100%. How did you think you got that back? How, did, how have you how regained that? Or maybe you still are. What, what are you doing now? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it has to do with kind of pushing back at, I guess, the culture I was raised in. I mean, I grew up in Utah. Um, I, I grew up thinking, I'm going to be a mom. I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. I'm going to give everything to my kids. I'm going to be... I mean, the best homemaker there is. And then I came to school and went through the nursing program and I graduated and I'm thinking, I want to use my degree. I love the medical field. I love the things I'm learning and I want to keep learning those things. But I had these two sides of me, black and white thinking that I can't work and I can't be a mom. Well, that is completely false and you can do both. Um, You can and you I mean, I think for me, I, I did lose myself um, a little bit there and wondered what I even like to do. And I guess what helped me was setting time aside just for me. And if that meant hiring a nanny for a couple hours a week or two days a week or the, every day of the week um, and doing things that I loved and that I cared about. Um, that helped me find purpose again in life for myself. I mean, motherhood is incredible and amazing, but it, it can be monotonous when you're sitting at home changing diapers, not talking to other adults. Um, so it was nice for me when I started to work again and set time aside to do fun things too. I also want to ask you about your husband. So you mentioned that he was the one that, that checked you into a mental health hospital. He was the one that, that found you when you attempted to take your own life. Yeah. Um, was that, do you think that was hard for him? Or I don't know how that made him look at you any differently at the moment? Or? Yeah. Um, that, my incredible husband, he went through a lot last year. I mean, seeing your wife go through that, um, so hard and he was a champion i mean he was my hero he started a new business last year and was trying to help keep me safe and alive and trying to help our kids feel safe and um yeah it took a toll on him and it was hard and i think that needs to be talked about as well that i mean mothers struggle with postpartum depression but it can also affect fathers and fathers can also struggle with postpartum depression. It's a huge change for them too. And he was 100% my rock throughout it all. And yeah, it was, it was really hard on him to see, to see that. This might be a question that you would have to hand off to him maybe for a future episode, but Uh um, what were some things that he did that were particularly helpful to you and your family when you guys were really struggling? So he actually went to therapy because he, I mean, when you're going through something this hard, you're like, what do, how do I help my wife when she's having these thoughts? And that was really helpful for me because he was able to learn how to help someone struggling with, I mean, 
postpartum depression. And he was able to learn how to talk to me, how to listen and validate. Um, but he was also there just to hold me and tell me it was going to be okay and tell me to keep pushing forward and to remind me that he needed me and he didn't need another wife and he wanted me as his wife and that it was my brain telling me these things and that it wasn't the truth. Um, he was a really good person to fact check with and I was able to sit with him and say, this is what I'm thinking. And then he was able in turn able to help me fact check those thoughts and help me realize that what I was thinking wasn't true. So, I mean, he, he was a great partner throughout it all. Is there maybe a way that students who maybe are interested or have maybe felt similar feelings that you have felt can follow you, reach out to you to, um, to get some type of comfort, maybe guidance? Yeah, and I mean, I'm no expert, but I, I'm really open about my story on social media. Um, I, my Instagram, I think it's called a handle, <laughs> is Whitney Bassett, W-H-I-T-N-E-Y-B-A-S-S-E-T-T. -S -S -E Whitney, thank you so much for talking with us today and for sharing your tender story. Uh, a lot of times on this podcast, we talk about the technicalities of certain nursing programs and professions, but it's not very often you get to hear someone's personal story and how this affects them. So really thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. This episode was, to me, one of the more difficult ones to listen to, um, but it's so important to hear these stories so we can learn to empathize with those who are going through things that maybe we won't experience or maybe people in our lives have experienced them, but we haven't had the knowledge to really help them in the past. And I know a lot more about what they're going through. Yeah, this episode was a little bit on the heavier side. However, it was also really eye-opening to see how many moms actually struggle with postpartum depression. In fact, after talking with Whitney, I talked to my mom briefly as well, and I guess she struggled with it as well, and I had no idea. I think something like this is a lot more common than uh, at least I could ever imagine. Yeah, and, and it's hard to know that because there's so much pressure for, for new moms to act happy, right? They're, they're supposed to be. They have a new baby. Um, their family is growing. And when everything isn't working out super perfectly, um, they, they're kind of incentivized to, to hide that so they don't look like anything's wrong. Um, so, so it's hard to know when someone is going through something like this. Absolutely. We also want to remind everyone one more time that if you are thinking about suicide or if you are worried or if you have any concerns that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is always available. Again, their phone number is 1-800-273-8255. We encourage anyone that might need help to get help if they need it. On a lighter note, we have some amazing episodes coming up the next couple of weeks. You can find us on Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. That's right. We're out every Tuesday with amazing episodes. We'll see you next week. 